Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, good morning. How are we? Everybody doing good? If you don't know me, my name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I've been away for the past month, but it is a, a, just a, a real delight to be back. We had a great time in my, my native country of uh, California, um, and had a good time just eating tacos and going to little burrito stores down the street from my parents' house, and burrito stores, I'm not sure that exists, but you know what I'm talking about, Mexican, like real Mexican food restaurants, and um, my son Joseph actually went with my brother down into Mexico, which is, sounds drastic, but it's actually just down the street from where my parents live, and was pulled over by a Mexican policeman. Um, <laughs> And made it back safely. That's always kind of sketchy, uh, but uh, but he he made it back, and um, we're just we're just really glad to be. We missed you, and um, and I I just I can't. I'm like a like a a pitcher that's been on the DL. I'm I mean I'm just I mean I may throw stuff over the backstop right now, but I, we're we're just going to get into it. So if you have a Bible, open it to Psalm chapter 67. And if you don't have a Bible. You can find uh, the Bible in front of you in the seat that um, is yours to keep if you don't have a Bible, or maybe you just forgot yours today. You're welcome to use that. I think it'd be helpful for you to follow along. And Psalm 67 is on, is on page uh, 335, and so I'd love for you to follow along. Listen, here's what we're going to do today. I think, as you know, we've been in Psalms for the past month and a half or so as sort of a summer in selected Psalms. And today, I think we'll be ending up that with Psalm 67, and then next week, we're going to start into uh, a long series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're probably going to be in Mark uh, all the way through the end of the year, maybe into, into early next year, and we're just going to take as long as we need to go through the Gospel of Mark. Today, though, we're going to look at Psalm 67, which is actually quite a short psalm, and has really, I think, just one overarching point that I want to make today. So there's actually no notes that I have today. I'm going to break in kind of gentle, no stuff going on the screen except for the scriptures. Just one really overarching point. And as I was away, one thing about being away for a while helps you do is it helps give you sort of a, an opportunity to step back and take perspective on your own life, take perspective on the life of this church. And today as we look at Psalm 67, I want us to think a little bit more deeply about cross point from a sort of 30,000 foot level and what we're doing here and why we're doing it and what God has brought this church together for in these past seven years and Lord willing for many, many years in the future. So um, as you're opening your Bible to Psalm 67, I'm going to read it and then I'll pray and then I just have a few thoughts for us to consider. And before I do that, let me just mention that today, um, in addition to being David Blanchard's last Sunday as he goes to Brazil, um, is also the last Sunday of a dear sister that's been part of our church for the past couple of years, Sarah Nixon, um, who usually sits over there, and you may be familiar with occasionally Sarah will read our, our call to worship scripture and has been so vitally important in the ministry of this church and children's ministry and just in the sort of spiritual vibrancy of this church, has a wonderful opportunity to teach uh, Bible at a Christian school in Macon first uh, with First Presbyterian Church there. It's a great opportunity. And she is leaving us today and moving to Macon to start the school year. We'll miss her, but Macon's not too far away, so hopefully she'll be back every now and again. But um, if you know Sarah and have just been encouraged by her heart for God, then 
um, just hug her, bless her, and, um, and say goodbye to her today just for, and I know she'll be back occasionally, but we'll miss you, Sarah, and we love you dearly. Let me read Psalm 67. We don't know much about this psalm by way of background, other than it was probably just a psalm thanking God for harvest, like a crop harvest. It gives us a picture into God's heart for the nations and his purpose for his people. And so let me read and pray. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your goodness. I'm, I'm so thankful uh, to be back and to be one of the pastors of this church. I'm so thankful for your kind providence in the life of this church since we began seven years ago. Thankful for the new faces that I see that I haven't met yet in my month away. Very thankful for what you're doing and the lives of people in this church who are being sent out to the nations, David Blanchard and Jeremy and Samantha. And I pray this morning as we look at this passage and consider this psalm, I pray that our hearts would rise with a sense of your heart for the nations and how you intend for your people to be a sort of mouthpiece, a conduit for your mission on this earth for your glory and our joy. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's the one point I think that these seven verses are about, and I'm going to give it to you. Don't have it up on the screen, but just if you're the type of person that takes notes, I just want you to just grab on to this one point here. And that is that this psalm is about the overarching truth of the scriptures that God blesses his people, in this case Israel, but in just a moment I'm going to make a case for the people of God through the whole Bible. God blesses his people so that through them he might make his glory known to the nations and all peoples. So, so the point of this psalm, in fact, I would say that to some degree the point of the whole Bible is that God blesses his people, not so that that blessing and that, that grace that he gives us would sort of dead end on us as a sort of cul-de-sac, but that he blesses us so that through us he might make his saving power known to the nations to, as Springer prayed at the beginning of the service, to people from every tribe and tongue and nation for his glory. Now, this theme is woven throughout all of Scripture, so no need to flip to these Scriptures, but let me just work through here just a few select Scriptures to show you that this theme exists not just in Psalm 67, but it's from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. Genesis chapter 12, the very beginning of Genesis chapter 12, 
this man named Abram is wandering in the desert as a pagan. He's an idolater. He's worshiping just, just false gods. And God comes to him, not because there's anything good in Abram, but because God chooses to come to Abram, who later will become Abraham. And he says to him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 3, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Listen to this, verse 2. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. Listen to this. So that you will be a blessing. Just like we read in Psalm 67. God makes his face shine upon his people so that his way would be known on the earth. Verse 3, back in Genesis 12. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families, not just Jewish people, not just the Hebrews that would come from Abraham, but all the families, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Well, of course, God's people start to form through Abraham, and then we read in Exodus how God saves his people from Egyptian captivity. And so we might think, well, maybe God is just concerned about this people. But again, we find later on, all throughout the Old Testament, that God is working through his people to save them. In fact, he saves them from Egyptian captivity, not just because he loves these people, but because that through these people, there's something greater on, li- on the line here, and that's his glory and his heart for the nations. This is what he says in Ezekiel chapter 20, recounting years before his salvation of the Jews in, out of Egypt. He says in verse 8 of Ezekiel 20, But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of, none of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. And then I told them, then I said, I would pour out my wrath upon them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. First time, but listen to this. But I acted. In other words, I split the Red Sea. I sent these plagues on, on Egypt. I, 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 I hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I rescued my people through no merit of their own through Moses, not just for their sake, but I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived in, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So we see through the whole Old Testament, again, I'm just sort of reinforcing this one point, that God blesses his people, in this case, rescues them from Egypt, not just for their sake, but so that through them he might make his power known to the nations. And you may be thinking, okay, Brad, that's just an Old Testament thing. That's just something he did for Israel. But no, we see this continue on throughout the whole New Testament. In fact, it's the reason why he even called the Apostle Paul to be a Christian. Look at Romans chapter, well, in fact, don't look there. Just let me read it to you. Romans 1, verses 1 through 5. This is Paul's opening words to, Roman, to the Roman church. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to this, verse 5. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Right there, so he's saying that God made Paul a Christian and then made him an apostle, not just for Paul's sake, for the sake of God's name among the nations. 
Unless we think, okay, Brad, that's just an Old Testament thing. And that's just an individual thing that God was doing in Paul's life. Let me finally read to you to just sort of hammer home this point that this doesn't apply just to the Jews in the Old Testament. It doesn't apply just to special apostles like Paul, but it applies to all Christians. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 10, Peter writes this to the Christian church. He says, but you, that first century audience, and you, Christian in 21st century America in Columbus, Georgia, are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? Here's the conjunction, right? It doesn't just stop there. There's a conjunction. There's a connector there. Remember? Come on, 1970s, Schoolhouse Rock. Conjunction, junction. What's your function? Remember that? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Conjunction. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And why have you received mercy? You've received mercy so that through you, God might make a name for himself among the nations. So point number one, in fact, the only point I think of Psalm 67 is that God blesses his people, whether they are Old Testament Israel, whether they are a New Testament apostle, or whether they are a church in Columbus, Georgia today, he blesses them so that through them he might make his glory known to the nations. And so, so to orient yourself, if you're relatively new to Biblical Christianity, I think probably one of the most important things that you can realize about the Bible is that it's not about you, but it's about God and His glory. In fact, everything exists for the glory of God. Even the wicked terrorists exist for the glory of God. Even the pagan nation exists for the glory of God. Proverbs 16.4 says that everything has its purpose, even the wicked for the day of destruction. Everything exists to glorify God. And some of us, because we're... Americans, aren't we? Most of us anyway. I'm not. I'm a Californian, but most of us are Americans. And we, we, we sort of, that can rub us the wrong way, can it? I mean, we're not used to thinking about the Bible as picturing God as self-centered. Follow me now. We, we, that sort of rubs us the wrong way. We think, well, God is sort of selfish. We kind of pictured God as a sort of neutered cosmic deity who's up in heaven with like a four-leaf clover hovering over our lives and wringing his hands, sort of plucking it like she loves me, she loves me not. It's oftentimes the picture of God we get in sort of modern-day American Christianity. He's sort of up there to write a good little book for you during Christmas time and make your devotion sweet. But he's not this all-consuming, all glorified creator of everything who doesn't just want but demands that all things that exist glorify him. And and, and that rubs us the wrong way, I think. And, And why is, now let's, before we move on here, why is seeing that point that God is the only righteously self centered being in the universe? Why is that actually good? Why is that biblical and why is that good for us? 
Why is it good for us to see that God demands, and in fact, his bottom line motivation for everything is not to help us get what we want, but to glorify himself? I, I think that that's important for us to realize. Is first, just two thoughts on this as I was thinking about this this week, is that God is the only thing that is all satisfying. It, to behold something that is just absolutely perfect and beautiful it is really the, the only thing that truly satisfies. And we, we have echoes of that, don't we? When you look at something beautiful, isn't it just like how, how, the, how the attention just sort of comes off of you onto that thing? We were flying out of San Diego back to Atlanta, and I'm, I always love taking off on a plane in San Diego, and even though, you know, California's on, the, it's actually on the coast um, of, of, for those of you that maybe went to public school, it's actually on the, it's on the ocean, <laughs> and, and, and then east is the way you'd go back to Georgia, but they always fly, they always fly about five or ten miles out into the Pacific Ocean for some reason, and then they turn around, and then they go back to, and I remember the first time I was flying back, I go, whoa, whoa, you're going the wrong way, am I going to Japan? <laughs> anyway, they fly, I don't know what they do, but anyway, and a couple of days before that, we'd been at SeaWorld, and they've got this little thing that you can go up to the top of SeaWorld, this, I don't know, a couple hundred feet up in the air, and you can kind of see all of San Diego, and it's just really amazing to be that high up. But then you get in the plane, and you fly out over San Diego, out into the Pacific Ocean, and then you circle back around and go over, and there's a couple aircraft carriers that are part of the United States Navy that are parked right there in San Diego, and these aircraft carriers that look so humongous from the ground or from the dock then become just like little ants as you're circling back over San Diego at about 30,000 feet. And then you cross over San Diego, this beautiful lush place, and then you start flying over where my hometown is, and there's absolutely nothing but dirt and coyotes and tumbleweeds, but, but you fly over this great expanse, and you just see how big God is, and how beautiful the earth is, and how beautiful the ocean is, and how and how awesome he is, and how, and how we're just looking at really just a small little speck of this beautiful universe. And you know what happens? You're drawn to it. You want to see it. And if you're seven and four, and you're my children, you fight and claw each other's eyes out to get a window seat. Why? Why? Why do kids throw a fit in a plane to get the window seat? Because they want to look out and behold something that is beautiful. And there's something satisfying about looking at something that is beautiful. And friends, if it's beautiful to look out over the Pacific Ocean and the southwestern plain of the United States, friends, how much more beautiful is the splendor and the glory of God? And how satisfying is it? And so, in fact... It would be unloving of God. It would be unkind of God, but to do anything except to receive all glory because he's the only being, he's the only thing that exists that is worthy of all glory. And when he shines his glory, then it is the most satisfying, in fact, the most loving thing that he can do for what he has created. And so when we see this picture of God as being willing to do whatever it takes to bring glory to his name, friends, that's the kindest thing he can do. And secondly, just as I meditated on why this is good, not just because it's all satisfying, but because then it frees us from ourselves, doesn't it, to just sort of be caught up in how big God is? Frees us from exertion, from competition, from insecurities. Like when you get a big picture of God, don't you just get freed from yourself? something poisonous about 
dead-ending on ourselves. Seeing this, I, th- I think seeing this is essential for spiritual health. And I think one of the reasons many people stumble or don't grow in their Christianity is because they've bought into a very weak brand of American Christianity that kind of makes it all about us. And we see symptoms of this, don't we? We see people that are very unsettled. They move from church to church. And they run from Bible study to Bible study. They do this, they do that. They all do all these sort of Christian activities that we might think might help assist them in growing, but they never really grow because their orientation is off. It's, it's, it's kind of subconsciously all about them and what God can do for them. And this psalm is picking up our eyes and saying that God works through his people to make his glory known to the nations. So how does God bless us? Just a few final thoughts here. Well, first and foremost, friends, he blesses us not by good crops, as is spoken of in Psalm 67. And not just specifically that. But he blesses us first and foremost with the knowledge of Christ. He blesses us with the good news. He blesses his people with his grace. He blesses Israel by making them his people, by rescuing them from captivity. Do you see how the Old Testament, in many ways, is just a picture of the plan of God to save his people in Christ? And so as he rescues Old Testament Israel, and that's his grace in their lives, it's a picture of what he is is about to do in Christ and what he has done in Christ now. So first and foremost, God blesses us in Christ with the knowledge of who Christ is. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now listen to verse 6. This is how God blesses us. It says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So how does God bless his people? By making them more successful than everybody else, by giving them a good crop, by giving them a promotion, or, or making their building nicer. No, no, he doesn't do that. He, he blesses his people by giving them a knowledge of who Jesus is and then giving them something to actually proclaim to the nations for his glory. And God moves upon the heart of a person who is self-righteous. He moves upon the heart of a person who's trusting in themselves and he causes their dead heart to come alive and turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus. That's the work of God. And if you haven't done that, that's what the gospel is. It's to turn away from yourself, to not trust in yourself, to not trust in morality, to trust in Christ and what he has done on the cross as the perfect man, the perfect lamb of God, to bear our punishment on the cross, absorb it, satisfy God's holy, righteous wrath because God is perfect in his glory and then come up from the death, up from the grave in his resurrected life command us all to turn and trust in him. And so he blesses his people, friends, with the knowledge of Christ, with salvation, saving us not from Egyptian captivity but from the captivity of sin. And he blesses his people not so that it would dead end on themselves, but so that through them he might make his glory known to the nations. And so he's done the same for us. If you're a Christian today, if you're a part of this church, why has he brought us here? This is what I want us to consider. Why has he brought us here? Why have we been doing this for seven years? Why does every Christian church exist? 
Why does God make anybody Christians? To sort of dead end on them so that they can live relatively good balance of their lives? No, so that through this person, through your life, through my life, through our corporate life as a church, he would make himself known to the nations. See, that's the key that we want us to think about today is that God doesn't just bless us for our sake, but for the sake of all peoples. Listen to these statistics from Joshua project.net, which is a a missions-dedicated website about the nations and the gospel in the world. Some statistics from joshuaproject.net. There are a total of 16,000, over 16,000 people groups in the the whole world. And a people group is, is not necessarily the same ethnicity, but it's a it's a common culture in a common language. So there's 16,000, over 16,000 people groups in the world. Of those 16,000, there are 7,000 of those people groups that are unreached. Does that mean that there's no Christians in those people groups? No, but it means that in those people groups, there's no indigenous movement that is strong enough to take the gospel to their own people. There's no churches. There's no church planting. There's no, there's no pastors. There's nobody preaching the gospel within that native people group to carry the gospel. There may be some small representations of missionary groups there, but for the most part, they're unreached. That's just about half of the people groups in the world. There's a world population of just under 7 billion people. Latest statistics, about 6.94 billion people. And within that huge population of the earth, if you looked at all of the people groups that are unreached, the population of the unreached people groups is 2.87 billion people. And friends, listen to my heart here. My goal is not to come back from sabbatical and just start throwing fastballs at you and beat you up. But when you, you get away and you kind of get a perspective you realize that you need to reorient your heart and say, that. So, so then what we're doing here is about so much more than donuts and signing up for children's ministry and come to the prayer meeting and show up on time. Come on! Let's be better at doing church together in America because we're Christians. You see how trivial that becomes when we start to gaze into the heart of Psalm 67 that God has saved us for something far greater than to be a church that operates efficiently in the land of churches. He's called us and saved us and given us a knowledge of Christ, not a moralistic therapeutic deism, not a better way to live, not some principles for successful leadership. He has caused us to go from death to life by the power of Christ's work on the cross so that people, ordinary people like David Blanchard and Jeremy and Samantha and just dusty little folks in a corner of Georgia collected together in a little tribe of pardoned rebels can be a little outpost that reaches the nations for the gospel. So friends, that, that's why it's so important that we We take our life together seriously because this church and churches like it become an incubator for the call of God to the nations. And it's in this place. Like, where do they come from? Where do these great people that take the gospel that 
choose to give up everything they have to meet the need of one of those unreached people groups. Where do they come from? They, they come from little places like Crosspoint. And listen, friends, don't buy into the, I know probably the objection of some of your hearts, because I've said things like this before. We sort of rise up in sort of self-righteousness and, well, yeah, I understand about all these unreached people groups on the other side of the world, but what about the guy down the street? Friends, don't, of course, we're not pitting local evangelism against the nations. Of course, we do both. And if you want to get involved in that, friends, the nations are at our doorstep. The nations are at Fort Benning. The nations are at Second Avenue at Mercy Med. The nations are at Highland Community Church. The nations may even be here in this room right now. Friends, don't make the little weak American Christian excuse of pitting local ministry against the ministry to the nations. Friends, it is the plan of God to do something in this church, in our lives, so that through us, he might make his glory known to the man down the street, to the child in the ghetto, and to the nations abroad. And for us to spend time parsing what is more of a priority and thinking about taking a verse like out of Acts chapter 2 and say, well, this is our Jerusalem. We've got to start here. Blah, blah. Friends, when Christians start, start parsing things like that, what they're doing is they're just giving an excuse because they're so lazy in their comfort and they're turning things in on themselves and it's becoming curved in on them and it's polluted and it's unhealthy and it's incestuous and it's sick and it never actually does anything. And I believe that God is calling us as a church to... Stir afresh our heart for the gospel amongst all peoples. So why are we doing what we're doing here? Well, we, we want to be a church. Just a few points of application, then I'm done. I want us afresh to be a church that understands the gospel. And when I say the gospel, I'm, friends, I hear my heart on this. I'm not just talking about some techniques for life. Do you realize that the good news of the gospel must be preceded by the very serious news that we are all born in sin and racing away from God in our rebellion and we are born condemned. And the good news of the gospel is that when God saves a person, like we read out of 2 Corinthians 4, he turns the light of the gospel on and makes them alive and he gives them a new heart so that they can turn away from trusting in themselves and turn to faith in Jesus and what he has done. And the only way God brings people to life is through the communication of the gospel. And so we want to be a church that understands the gospel well. And we want to be a church that is floored by the gospel and amazed by the grace of the gospel, and then is compelled by the glory of the gospel to give our lives away for the sake of the gospel. And, and so, friends, that, that's why everything that we do here is so important. The way we treat each other, the way we love one another, the way we forgive one another, the way we give, the way we serve, all of it fits together in this beautiful mosaic that becomes an incubator of the heart of God for all peoples among us. So that's why, that's why maybe buying this building in a couple months might be important. See, link, link everything we do to the heart of God for his glory among the nations. So, so how does that apply? 
How does that letter that we sent out at the end of June and this situation where we may be able to purchase this building, maybe who knows what's going to happen. But So you say, oh, well, boy, just last week you talked about your heart for the nations and now you want us to raise a couple million dollars so we can go, oh, see, see, it's all about us. No, no, friends, because what happens is when we do something like that for the sake of what God is doing among us long term is then we get to, we get to have a base of operations that we know will be at for 20 or 30 years, pay it off, and then be able to be extravagantly, radically generous and send out missionaries all, all across the world. So everything is connected to God's heart for the nations, not our comfort. And now if we were talking about, hey, well, let's build this big, huge campus and have this and this and humming, humming, a swimming pool for our kids and rocking them and bringing to Starbucks, let's do this and this, and little, little pads for our feet because the, the foyer gets kind of hard. And so let's just do all this kind of stuff and all this stuff. If we ever go down that road, friends, don't walk out of here, run out of here because then what we're doing is we're curving things in on ourselves. But God's heart for the nations is that we would be a place ascending, a platform, a diving board, an incubator for the gospel among all peoples on 2nd Avenue and in the place where God's name has never been heard. Everything we do is linked to God's missionary heart for the nations. And he uses dusty, insecure people like us. Like us. Like I know there's nothing. You're thinking, Brad, I don't have the gifts. I, I, I don't either. But that's, that, that's God, that's part of his design. You remember our first point is that the glory goes to God. So when he uses sort of ragtag people like us, do you see how there's more of an opportunity for God to get glory? Do you see that? I mean, if he picked out the Michael Phelpses of the Christian world, then we'd all wonder if it was the ability of the person. But he doesn't. He uses dusty ragtag folks like us for the sake of his glory. That, that's so exciting, man. So nobody's disqualified. What qualifies you is Christ. And if he's made you alive, he's made you alive for a purpose. Do not disconnect the grace of God in your life from the purposes of God for the glorification of his name. If you do that, you run the risk of curving everything in on yourselves and missing the whole heart of God and saving you. Do not disconnect the purpose of God and making a name for himself among the nations from the grace of God in your life. And so many of us, I think just instinctively do that. And, and today is just a call for us not to. Don't think your life can't be used in this way. I end on this. Your mom, staying at home, raising a couple little children who always seem to be tormenting each other and messing your house up and driving you crazy. Okay, Brad, I got you. I'm excited. Great message. Thanks. I'm half asleep because I was up till 3 o'clock in the morning feeding a baby. But how does this apply to me? I, I'm never going to go to Central Asia or Brazil. How does this apply to me? Oh, Mom, don't discount the impact of you raising a child that has a heart for the nations. Don't discount those prayers that you whisper at night, not just, Lord, let little Johnny and Susie have a good night's sleep. But Lord, I pray that you would move on Johnny's heart so that his heart would break free your, 
for your mission and that you might do wonderful things. And don't point everything in that child's heart towards themselves, you know? So don't organize everything for their success and everything for their comfort. And don't give in to everything that they want. They want. But break that child of himself and teach that child to have a heart for God's work among the nations. Do you realize that the mom who's staying at home, who may never travel abroad, may be the front line of incubating a heart in a child for the sake of the nations? I'm a soldier in an infantry battalion at Fort Benning. Brad, how do I how do, I do this? <laughs> I think we should add infantry battalions to groups of unreached people groups. I've been in one before. It's, an own, it's its own little subculture with its own language and customs. Do you realize that God has you, has you there, young man? Has you there? For the sake of his glory amongst that people? Do you realize that the United States of America is your missions sending agency, the government, the Department of Defense, is funding your missionary cause? <laughs> Separation of church and state in my... <laughs> You're being sent as an operative for the gospel into dark places. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Because there's an E4 or a second lieutenant or a staff sergeant that is on the ground with the gospel in a dark place. If you're a businessman and you've got a good career clipping along at Aflac or Tistis or the bank or wherever, what can you do? Oh, friends. I mean, think about the people of influence that you rub shoulders with every day. You can live out Christ in the workplace and you can not let your material assets dead end on you. You can make your life about something bigger than college football on Saturdays and recreation on Sundays and just the little trinkets that we buy ourselves. You can start to point your arrows out and let this psalm sink into your heart and realize that where God has you might be a place to be a catalyst for the call of God to the nations. You're a college student, and your major purchase each week is a smoothie or some very overpriced, terrible-tasting cup of coffee from Starsham, I mean Starbucks. <laughs> what can you do? There's never a freer time in your life and when you're in college or right when you graduate from college. I know college kids walk around stressed out like they've got a test or something. <laughs> Look here. There's never a freer time in your life than when you don't have a mortgage. <laughs> or an electrical bill. Or a family. Consider giving away your prime years for the sake of the gospel. Consider taking that degree and going to pioneers.org 
www.pioneers.org. It's a missions organization that we partner with that Jeremy and Samantha are going to Central Asia with. And browse that website and look at all of the almost innumerable opportunities that it would have for a young person that is unfettered by the cares of this world. And consider giving the next two to three to four or five years of your life away for the gospel. You can do that. You're retired. <laughs> you can do the same thing. Pioneers.org. Pray. Ask God to give you a heart for the nations. And make us a people who are marked not by just our own sort of spiritual growth or how many community groups we have going on or how many people are involved in community groups or how many people are you running this Sunday or how many people are doing this or that. But might we be marked as a people who have the heart of Psalm 67, that have clearly understood the gospel, that understand that God has blessed us with the gospel, and who spend the rest of their lives giving themselves away for the gospel. Friends, there's no more satisfying thing to do than that. There's no greater thing to do. And God in His kindness calls us to detach our hands from the things of this world and attach those hands to himself and his mission. Why has he saved us? To make his, na his name known amongst the nations. That the nations would be glad and all the peoples would sing with joy. Well, it's my first sermon back and I'm sweating, I'm all worked up. I need to go take a nap and Drink some water. And friends, may we be a church that has a heart for the nations. John Stott, a British evangelical pastor from the past 50 years, he just died recently. He had this beautiful quote. It says, There is something inherently inappropriate about cherishing small ambitions for God. That's such a British understated, understated way to say it, isn't it? I love the British because they can say so much in just sort of an understated sort of way. I mean, that's not the way you say it in America. Like, and that is whack to think so small. Like, really, God saved you so that you could just kind of pursue your own little stuff? Now, there's something inherently wrong about cherishing small little ambitions for God. Psalm 67 is about dreaming big dreams that God would make a name for himself among the nations through places like Crosspoint. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for this psalm. I praise you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that reorients us away from ourselves. And I pray right now that God, today, even now, Lord, you would stir our hearts Lord, that missions and evangelism and a heart for lost people, whether they are on Second Avenue or whether they are across the world, would never be a program here, but that it would just be the way that we do things. It would be a way of life because it is your way of life. God, I pray that 
people that are part of this church that are just kind of clipping along in a comfortable way, I pray that you would stir us. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would knock us off of our, of our, of our really just our subconscious pursuit of self and that you would rattle our cages and God, that we would lift our eyes to see the nations, to see the need, to see your plan in the gospel which goes so far beyond just us. And Lord, I pray that it would, it would just define us as a church. And I pray for my friends that may be in this room today that are not yet believers. Lord, I am under no false assumption that everybody in this room has, is born again and trusting in Jesus. And I, I pray, God, that even today in a message like this, on this psalm, which is more about the responsibility of a Christian and, and where we didn't really go into detail about what Christ is. And I pray that even today you might, you might just clarify for them and just show them that there's such a greater love out there, that there's something so much bigger to live for than themselves. And, and Lord, even as their heart has been warmed with this, with this hope of what life could be about, that even then they would turn away from themselves and their sin and turn in faith toward Jesus, that they would look to him. And that God, God, that you would, you would bring them to life through faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that they would lay down morality, they would lay down trust in themselves, they would lay down being proud of themselves for even just coming to church today, and that, God, we would realize our desperate need, and that need is to be brought back to life by the power of Jesus and what he has done on the cross. And, and Lord, that's what your desire is, to bring glory to yourself through the work of your Son on the cross and make that known to the nations. God, would you do that? Would you... Would you seize our hearts with that one great truth and, and would we put down petty jealousies and, and would we lay aside silly little preferences and, and offenses and, and things that we're upset about and God, would you put us on mission as a church and, and would our hearts stir for the nation? And from this place, God, would this place be marked by radical generosity? Would this be room be filled with, missionary, filled with missionaries being sent out? And, and Lord God, would you give us a heart for the glory of your name because it's the only thing that satisfies God would you do this would you do this would you do this for us would you do this for me God I pray God that the balance of my life here as a preacher would not be spent just tickling the ears of comfortable Christians but that God through this little dusty church it is such an evidence of your grace you, you God would impact the nations for the sake of the gospel. Do it, God. Do it, I pray, for your glory and for our joy. Lord, would you, would you do that? In Jesus' name, I pray these things. And as the psalmist went from praying about it to pronouncing it, I do the same. Not just, God, may you bless us, but in verse 7, God, you shall bless us sake of the nations in your glory. In Jesus' name.